Lord God, as we ask that and we sing it and we say, Lord, show us. Show us who you are. Reveal your heart to us, Lord Jesus. What powerful words. Our desire, our attitude, our heart in this place. Every day that you give us, God. That we say that. That we ask that. Fill us with your spirit, God. Fill us with your love so that we can show that to others, God. And most of all, love you more than anything. So I pray for that in this place today, God. If we are someplace maybe mentally, or we've got a lot on our plate right now, or we're worrying about some things, whatever that might be, God, that we trust you today. We give it all to you today. We say, God, hey, I am yours, and I trust you in these things, whatever they are, God, we trust you. Fill me, fill me in this situation, Father, what I'm dealing with. May I feel your hand. May I feel your hand of comfort and peace, God. I pray for those hurting here, maybe on watching online, maybe not even able to be with us here today, God. They need your love. They need your comfort. They need your healing. So we ask it in faith today, God. You hear our prayer. You hear our concerns. Because you're big enough, you're great enough to handle anything. Lord, I pray today that your word come alive to us. That we not forget our purpose as a Christ follower. That we not forget our purpose and who we are in following you. Maybe we call back to that. Maybe some of us need to recommit to that today. Maybe some of us need to take that step for the first time in you, Lord Jesus. Give our lives to you. Surrender it all to you. I pray. I pray today for that in this place. May we be open to it. May our hearts yield to you as that song says. We love you. We ask it all in the power of Jesus' name together. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm so glad you're here this morning. And um, last week we had an exciting week with Vacation Bible School and our Family Sunday that we took a week to celebrate that and celebrate uh, the family ministry within the life of our church. And I hope you had a great time. We got a lot of great feedback from last week, and it was a fun time. And so today we're back in our series. We're right in the middle of God on Film. And it's been a series harnessing some of the biggest blockbusters, obviously, from this year, 2017. And obviously, we're not here to glorify the uh, movie. We are here to glorify maybe something, an angle that we can take to, you know, help us to read God's Word and apply it even better in our lives. And we've been looking at these blockbusters, and today, the one that we're looking at that's another top film this year, of all things, is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. And if you don't know the backstory of this, if you've never read about this comic or this story, to give you just a little background story, um, you have this brash space adventurer by the name of Peter Quill, obviously played by Chris Pratt. And he finds himself in the first one, he's in this quarry of relentless bounty hunters because he has stolen something and the, the villain wants it back. And, and so he needs this help from these four desperate misfits by the name of Rocket Raccoon, Groot, Gamora, and Drax. And they all have to save the universe. It's fiction, people. Relax. Okay? 
And so the first film, it ends with Peter Quill's character discovering that he's not fully human and his mother was from Earth, his father was from something else entirely, obviously to give some explanation why he could accomplish the things that he did. But the story goes on. And in volume two, let's see what happens. Hope you're ready. It'll be here any minute. Is that a rifle? You don't know what a rifle looks like? It's just swords were your thing and guns were mine. But I guess we're both doing guns now. I just didn't know that. Oh, that's intense. I see it within you. Fear. Jealousy. Betrayal. It is our duty to cleanse the universe of this weakness. sequel follows this story of his Peter trying to discover the identity of his father because he knows if he knows where he comes from he can influence that can influence how he lives his life and I thought about that I'm like wow some of us are searching from things you saw that line from the movie it's like sometimes we're searching for hope we're searching for life and it's been right there all along or we're searching for the purpose and what God has for us. And when we think about us as a church, as we think about us as Christ's followers, the same is true in the sense of this character. When we know where we come from and who we were meant to glorify, it will change how we live our lives. You know, I think sometimes as Christians, what do we do? It's the book that uh, Craig Rochelle wrote. He talked about us being what we call practical atheists. It's where when we as Christians, we acknowledge God's existence, but we don't live like we should. We acknowledge God's existence, but we live like 
this life and what's on this earth is all that we have. And when you truly grasp the power and you truly understand God's love, it will change how you see yourself. It will change how we see each other. It will change how we live this life of what I would call true substance. I see more and more in the life of the church, we're not living a life of true substance. We're living a life of a lot of check boxes. We're living a life of a lot of show up and do our part. We're living a lot of life of image through social media and how people see me serving at the church. But where is the substance? That's the question. Now, I'm not here to beat you up. I'm here to encourage you because I understand as life continues to move along at a tremendous pace, it becomes more and more difficult to live that life of substance. Because, hey, if we're honest, what? We're simply too busy. We're too busy to make sure that we are living a life of substance and difference. And so what happens is many times we don't have time for the best things, so we settle for less. We prefer substance, but what ends up happening is we too often settle for convenience. And if I asked everyone in here the question, would you want to live a life of substance? I don't think anyone would say, no, I enjoy living a life of mediocrity. It's great. The good news is, is that we don't have to be there. And I'm going to show you this morning, today, today we're going to look at three things that we can do to avoid mediocrity. Three things that we can do to live a life of substance. Three distinctions that you need to make in your daily life that I believe will change how you live for the Lord. That I believe will change how you see every day. That I believe will change how you live. And I hope you'll go on this journey with me this morning. The first thing I want to show you is this, and we'll jump into some scripture here in just a minute. I believe that to live a life of substance, we have to value progress over movement. We have to value progress over movement. Now, obviously, how many is loving the traffic in northern Kentucky right now? It's going great, isn't it? I expect us all to be at the altar just for our driving habits probably over the last few weeks but when the Brent Spence bridge is not half or more closed traffic can seem to move okay especially on the 275 loop but there are those times that it doesn't when I come to church uh, from home I jump on 275 east I hit 471 to come down to the Fort Thomas exit here to the church now, I have a little secret. It's not much of a secret. So what I do is I jump, when I jump on 275, I look all the way up the hill towards northern. And if I see it backing up, I go whoop right over at Wilder. And I take the back way into Fort Thomas through Southgate. I guess I'm lucky and blessed that I have that back way. <laughs> But why do I do that? Do I save myself time? Depends, maybe, maybe not. Sometimes depending on how bad the wreck or something stopping traffic is, I might. But sometimes I might not. If it moves faster than I think, 
just because I see the traffic not moving at my speed doesn't mean it's not moving fast enough to still make the difference of that time. But I fall into that problem. What is that problem? I don't like to sit still. And so the whole philosophy of kind of that, if I'm moving, I'm making good time. I don't have to sit there. I don't, I don't want to sit and feel like I'm wasting time. And so kind of when I'm behind the wheel, nothing is more frustrating having to sit still. I'd rather go a little out of my way as long as I keep moving. Now, that's a bad enough habit to have when you're driving. But can I tell you, it's a much worse habit to have when you live your life this way. Some of you in this room, some of you listening today, you're living your life that way. You're constantly on the move. You don't want to sit still. You want to find the quickest exit to go get relief, to go get happiness, to go find whatever it is to fill your emptiness. And the problem with that is that we have this bad habit of thinking motion or movement equals progress. How many of y'all ever seen a hamster in a wheel? What happens? They go round and round and round and never get anywhere, right? I know it's a silly illustration, but man, that's like that. And maybe some of you feel like that today in where you're sitting. Maybe you feel like that as you're watching. Some of you are probably watching this Facebook Live as you're driving today because you've booked yourself so tight. Listen, in order to see this life, we've got to learn to focus on progress, not be satisfied with just motion and movement. And I hope to give you some things to help you with that today. Let's jump in because we see this in the life of Jesus. Now we're going to first look at a verse that seems very insignificant, but it's one we're going to focus on today. And it's from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verse 40. In the beginning of, obviously, the Gospel of Luke, we see about the birth of Jesus. We see him in his young years. We see him talk, you know, Luke describes him at 12 years old. And this happens right before that, before we, we see the ministry of Jesus set up. But in Luke chapter 2, verse 40, Luke writes these words. He says, And the child grew and became strong, and he was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. And then we don't hear anything again until he's 12 at the temple. Now, the funny thing is, is this verse not only, yes, describes his early years, it, it describes his entire life. I mean, Jesus, he spent his childhood, his early adult years growing, becoming strong, progressing toward the work he was called to do. And the bottom line is, is Jesus, he was focused. He was focused on mission. He knew why he was here. He knew what he had to do. And he announced his public ministry. If you look in John chapter 4, just a couple of chapters later, we're not going to look there now, but I want you to later, you'll see that he's at this Sabbath service, service at the synagogue in Nazareth in his hometown. And he stands up and he reads the passage of Scripture from the book of Isaiah. And the passage is all about the Messiah coming to accomplishing his will on earth. He's talking about himself as he reads it from the text, which is just amazing. There probably had to be a little whatever in Jesus, right? I mean, can you imagine reading that about yourself? But He reads it and then he sits down in the congregation in effect and he says, yeah, I'm the one Isaiah is referring to. 
Here, let's look at the power of the passage. Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3 is where this comes from. He says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom from the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning. And a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness. A planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. He's talking about the salvation of mankind, him himself, the Messiah coming so that we could be saved and we could be righteous before a holy God, forgiven of our sin. Joy brought our mourning, turn into dancing. And here's what I want you to see from that is what? Jesus right here as he announces his ministry and he's sharing this in all, the, all coming from the Old Testament text of these actions. And he's, he's talking about progress. He's talking about progress, not just motion. He says, this is the words in, in his work. I'm going to preach good news. I'm going to bind up the brokenhearted. I'm going to proclaim freedom. I'm going to, I'm going to proclaim the release, proclaim the Lord's favor. I'm going to comfort. I'm going to provide. What's the point? Jesus knew for you and I there's a big difference between being truly, truly effective than just being busy. And we in America and the Christian church in America, we bought into the lie of busyness. He focused on things that he needed and wanted to accomplish, and he focused on the results. We need to all be evaluating what we're doing all the time. And sometimes, and we talk about this all the time, there are the best things and there are good things. And sometimes we have to say no to the good things for the best things. In order to thrive, we've got to realize that being busy isn't good enough. We have to give thought to what we're accomplishing with our lives. And I'm not talking about secular accomplishment. I'm not talking about degrees and high, high pay rank that you can get. Because, folks, that won't matter one day. But what you did in this life for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that's what's going to stand. It reminds me of this picture. An old story of a day, uh, one day a man noticed two men, they were in a public park and they were working feverishly in the summer heat. They were working for the park, I guess. And so one man would dig a, a rather large hole and then right behind him, a guy would fill the hole. And so this man was watching from a distance. He's like, what in the world are they doing? This just kept going on through the park. So finally the guy walks over to him he's like, Sir, um, why are you digging a hole and then your partner is filling it? What's the point of this? And so the guy, the hole digger, said, Well, normally we're a three-man crew. The guy who puts the trees in the hole, he called in sick today. <laughs> That's silly, right? 
But that's how many of us, we go about our lives. We do that. We have mastered the form of what we're supposed to be doing, but we neglect the content. We have to ask ourselves, if you get nothing out of this whole message today, write this down. Am I planting trees or am I just filling holes? And that goes with your acts of service in the church, you name it. Are you, are you planting trees or are you just filling holes? Because when we serve in the church, when we serve outside the church, when we do the things we're supposed to do as Christ followers, we do it to always be planting trees, not fill holes. I'm only at point one. I got to hurry here. That's how we have a life of distinction. Okay? Now let's, let's see this. So not only do we need to value that, we need to value character more than our reputation. We need to value character more than our reputation. Obviously, it's been said that your reputation is who people think you are, but your character is who you really are. And that's an important distinction. Listen to me. I understand between social media and our places of work and all those things, we want to have a good reputation. For the kingdom, we want to have a good reputation. But can I tell you that a good character is much more important? A good character is much more important. Obviously, when we look at the life of Jesus, he was certainly a man of character because he was God. But the funny thing is with Jesus, what? Throughout his life, he didn't always have a good reputation. But he had character. I mean, when you think about it, he, he first of all, let's, let's just take it back a couple things. He was from Nazareth. Nazareth was not exactly Beverly Hills people. It was more like a shanty town. And in the Gospel of John, we see when Philip first told Nathaniel that he had met Jesus the Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, Nathaniel's response was, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? <laughs> there, there was a stereotype there. Then we also see that during Jesus' life, there were some questions about, you know, how he came to be, his parentage, how he even came to be who he was. I mean, obviously, we believe and affirm the virgin birth, but many of those who grew up at Jesus' time, they weren't fully convinced that happened. And so that led to speculation. It led to rumors. Been going on for years. And then Jesus also had this reputation for being this troublemaker, this lawbreaker. Remember, he would rather heal on the Sabbath than observe the Jewish laws that forbade any kind of work. He didn't always follow the Jewish dietary laws and the hand-washing rituals. And he was often seen in the company of sinners. And some of the things he said conflicted with the prevailing religious thoughts. Here's the point. Jesus did not spend his life nurturing his reputation. He spent his life making sure his character was what it should be. And can I say there's nothing new for the church. If we are Christ's followers, that is the picture that we are to live. We need to quit caring less about our reputation and what someone thinks than what our real character is behind the scenes. Look back at Luke 2, verse 40. What does it say in the middle of that? He, the child grew, became strong, and then what? He was filled with wisdom. Jesus had the wisdom to know the difference between reputation and character. 
I love what John tells us um, a little later as his ministry is in full swing. John chapter 2, 23 through 25, he says, Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. That is a sovereign God that knows your heart, that knows your intent, that knows everything about you. Yet he loves you and he forgives you and he gives you the power to walk in his fullness every day. He knew the difference between reputation and character. And he understood that what you do is more important than what people think of you. There's an old story back in the 80s of a couple by the name of Fred and Marlene Nichols. And one night they had stopped at a service station. I think they were having some sort of car trouble. And while they were parked where they were parked at the service station, somehow a truck lost control and actually hit them as they were pulled off at the service station. Fred lay there injured badly. He was bleeding, he was unable to move, and he felt the stranger's hand all of a sudden on his shoulder. And of all people, he looks up, and it is Bobby Knight, the Indiana Hoosiers basketball coach for many, many years, went on to coach the Texas Tech Raiders for a while. Now, I know where some of your mind went, right? Exactly, didn't it? Y'all went to the images of Bobby Knight throwing the chair across the gymnasium. You went to the images and the pictures of him being belligerent at times in his anger. I'm not here to glorify his actions by any means, so please don't hear that, miss any of this. But he was on his way to a special dinner to his team had won the NCAA championship that year, and he was on his way to receive the Coach of the Year award. And as he goes to receive this Coach of the Year award, he comes upon this accident. And this was Fred Nichols' words after everything later was over. He said, Night was so comforting. He took charge of the situation. He offered words of comfort and hope. He even stayed there with their belongings until, until those that could arrive to get it. The story never made the headline. It was barely mentioned by the media, but it shows that the wild men on the court, that wasn't there, all there was to Bobby Knight. You see even though he didn't always show the best attitude on the court, it has to remind us that character and reputation do go hand in hand. And my, my firm belief is when we truly follow Christ, we live for him and, and you know, we do what we're supposed to do behind closed doors, we will have a life of substance that then will affect what our reputation looks like. What's problem with us is that we want to buy the lie backwards. We want to make our reputation look good in hopes that the, the character improves itself. We have to surrender all that we are, be in his word, follow him with all we are, yield our character to the greatness of God, and the reputation will follow. I'm telling you folks, if we will get that right in the life of the church, God will bless in ways that we can't even imagine. Now thirdly, 
with that and all these go hand in hand, we have to value spirituality over just religious things, religious rituals, checking the boxes. <laughs> there are many churches that have traditions and rituals that they hold very sacred. And honestly, many of those in the churches that I have seen, they have little to do with spirituality. Sometimes we have made those into the church. We have thought that we are helping our spirituality, our relationship with God, our growth in that by doing certain things or having certain traditions. And the sad reality is if you ever go messing with some of those traditions in some churches, you're going to stir up a hornet's nest. A couple examples. One time in a church, a pastor was guest speaking one morning. And a key leader walked right up to the guest pastor and said, hey, we're glad to have you preaching in our church today. We are so excited that you are here. But here's an important reminder. Without fail, if you don't have the last song going by 11.55, I can't promise what's going to happen to you. Now, there was, a little joke, there was a little truth in the joke, but there was a lot of truth in what he was saying. That church cared more about getting out at 12 o'clock and getting to lunch and to football or whatever than they did about growing in their spirituality. There are many traditions in the format of a service. We think, we've seen things like, you always have this song here, the choir always sings before the sermon, or you see it in furniture, the pulpit's always on the platform, the flags always have to be where they're supposed to be. Oh, maybe this. Uh, you better watch what the pastor wears because you don't want to dress up too much because if the pastor dresses up too much, the attire of the pastor could make the congregation feel uncomfortable and that would confuse new people of what kind of church we really are. And on and on and on. Here's the point. Too many... Too often, our Christian lives are made up of these religious rituals that have no real bearing on our relationship with the Lord. They have no real bearing on what I would say is spirituality. Now listen to me, religious rituals aren't bad if they are done in the right way and they are meaningful and they don't blind us to the more important issue of a personal relationship with Christ. For instance... This building is not sacred in itself, but what we do in it should be. The physical things that we have, they're not true elements of spirituality. They're symbols, and, they, and even though there's nothing wrong in and of themselves, they're not a substitute for that. The church should be an extension an example of who we really are in Christ. Not the building, not the rituals, not the things that we do. It should be who we are. When I think about Jesus, he was a Jew, right? And he worshiped like a Jew. But Luke defines him in the last part of Luke 2.40. He says he was filled with wisdom and what? The grace of God was on him. The grace of God was on him. And I think about that picture. Is that what's truly happening? When we're in this place together, when we're serving outside this place, is the grace of God truly upon our hearts and our lives? Is that what people see? Is that what most of all God sees? 
Can I just say there's no religious thing that we can do that is a substitute for the grace of God. There's nothing that we can do that is a substitute of his power upon our lives. If you want to live a life of substance, you've got to get past the form of religion and focus on the content of your life. And I simply ask you, do you know who you are? Do you know who your Father in heaven is? Are you his child? And if you know that you are, do you live that way? Do you know him personally? Do you know that who you are in Christ? Very quickly, living the Christian life, it's not about these religious rituals to make us a better person. The Christian life is about joyfully pursuing Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm not trying to get Pentecostal on you here this morning, but man, we need more spirit. (laughs) And I'm not talking about clapping your hands necessarily or screaming. I'm talking about the movement of the Spirit because we yield to the Spirit of God in our lives. Do I believe when we're saved we get the Spirit fully? Yes, I do. But we live in a sin-fallen world that has an enemy that is attacking our lives, and he wants to do everything he can to get you out of the spiritual realm. If he can get you in this place, whether it's Sunday morning or in your life at work, get you distracted by anything onto something else, he wins. And so very quickly, I'll close with this. Five-step Spirit-filled life, very quickly. Number one, we need to fear the Lord. We need to fear the Lord. Again, I'm not going to go on a tangent here about what that fear exactly means. We're going to talk about this in a few months in a new series called No Fear. But we need to fear the Lord for he is God and we are not. Worship has never been about bringing God down to our level, but about worshiping God for who he is. And if our worship will be that in our lives, not just in this room, every day, 24-7, I guarantee you, you will see a difference in your substance of your life. We have a sense of, when we have a sense of awe and godly fear in the presence of God, you can't help but carry an awareness of his presence. That's powerful. What else? Walk in love. We spent time like this last, on this last, or two weeks ago, but walk in love. It's no accident the first fruit of the Spirit is love. And we got to do it. We must walk in the full love of God toward one another as he has loved us. You're not always going to agree. Man, there's going to be times you're really not going to agree. But you still need to love through it. What else? Pay attention to God's voice. Pay attention to the voice of God. Yes, there are many times I wish we were like in the Old Testament where God's audible voice would be right there to tell us. But the reality is it's because of Christ. He's interceding on our behalf. We don't need the voice of God except how he speaks to us through his word. And that's why it's important that we be in his word. It's why it's important that we be in his presence so that we can hear the voice of God in our lives. And pay attention to it. I can't tell you how many times I have people that blow it in their lives, whether it's in their marriage or some other way. They sit in front of me at my desk and they'll say, Russ, the Holy Spirit was telling me not to do that. And what did I do? I still did it. Because I wanted to please the flesh. Pay attention to God's voice. He's not going to miss telling you. (laughs) He's God, thank goodness. What else? Walk in a position of continued obedience and self-denial. Walk in a position of obedience and self-denial. 
You see, the, the Bible tells us that what? If we love God, we will obey. We will walk in obedience. He said, that's how you will know. That's how you will know who are my followers, because they will walk in obedience and love me. Obeying his commands, obeying his calling in your life, fulfilling the purposes he has in your life, along with self-denial. Does that mean that you, you know, live in a hut or, I don't know what that means, but it means this, that you, it's not about you. I'm living to serve a God and a kingdom that's greater than me. And not greater, but includes you. We live in a time where self-denial is getting less and less. And we wonder why our nation and our churches are ending up in some of the shapes they are. Lastly, be dedicated to ministry. Be dedicated to ministry. You see, one of the things that's crazy to me is why we look at that first characteristic of fearing the Lord. Obviously, that's an attitude of the heart. But this characteristic, dedicated to ministry, it's the outward action to that. To serve the Lord is to obey his will and obey his commands and to make it not about you. That's part of the whole self-denial. A spirit-led person in church will be focused on obeying Christ's command to preach the gospel in its community and around the world. That's a beautiful picture if we will grasp that. When I say be dedicated to ministry, some of us need to redefine that for ourselves. Because some of us have some wrong understandings, I think, of be dedicated to ministry says, oh, I will do my one time in the, you know, alley or wonderland, or I will do my one time serving in the media ministry a month, or I will do whatever, fill in the blank. That's not what it's talking about. That's part of your dedication to ministry, but dedicated to ministry means your life. It means all of you, in your choices, in who you are, how you live. If someone was to look at your social media account, if someone was to look at your Facebook page, would they be able to tell what you love? Oh yeah, they will. What will it show? What will your timeline of your life look towards the kingdom? This is what it all comes down to. The substance of your life is more important than the surface of your life. In order to thrive, we've got to make the effort to emphasize form over content. And we do that by learning to value these things we talked about this morning. Progress more than movement, character more than reputation, spirituality more than religious ritual. I'm excited about us continuing being a church and a, and a people of Christ living a life of substance. Because I can tell you there's no greater ride than when we do this all together and we live that way. There's nothing greater. Man, I want to celebrate on the other side of this as we do this together. I want to see the baptisms continue. I want to see us continue to grow as a church. And I'm going to be honest, some of us aren't all pulling our weight. Just like I stood before my soccer team this week, I said, some of you ain't pulling your weight. I'm standing before you and I'm saying, some of you aren't pulling your weight. It's time you start pulling your weight. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads this morning. Maybe today you are here and you're honest and you say, Russ, 
I'm not living a life of substance, man. I, I, I am, you describe my situation today. I'm in motion, I'm busy, I'm all these things, but man, my life is not a life of substance. As a matter of fact, if I'm honest, I'm not living for God at all. I, I've never even surrendered my life to God. If that's you, I want you to know that you're created by God in order that you would be his child and that you would live a life that has influence on others. That you would truly live a life of purpose. That you would be, live a life of being saved from your sin. And maybe you're here today and you'd say, Russ, I am dead in my transgressions. I do not know Christ as my Savior and Lord. I've not asked him to forgive me of my sin. I've not been reborn in Christ. If that's you, I want you to stand up today. I'm going to invite you to come. I'm going to be down here as we're singing. Let's talk about it. If you don't feel comfortable doing that, I want to ask you to contact me. Let someone know. Important, most important decision you ever make in your life. You don't want to put that away. You don't want to put that on the back burner. It's not by accident you're at this point of hearing that to know that he wants to be your life. So come today. The one who grew and had the full grace of God on himself is the one to be saving of your sins and be your savior that you can have the fullness of the grace of God through him. Maybe you're here today and you're like, Russ, uh, I'm in some of those categories, man. Maybe I've totally been about the motion and not the progress. Maybe I care more about my reputation than I do my character. Or, man, I do. I, I, I care about all those religious rituals way too much than I really do my spirituality, my walk with God through Christ. It's okay. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to help you to see that. I'm here to help you to, con to come and confess that and to change that and to walk with him like never before. Will you do that in your seat at this altar? Surrender that to him. Give it to him today. Maybe you need to come for prayer. We'll have some prayer warriors that would love to pray with you about a situation, whatever you want prayer, need of, you come. They'd be, they would love to pray with you. Come pray by yourself. However the Lord leads in this place today, respond. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for our salvation. I thank you that we see the picture through him. That he came. He came to restore whatever it is we face. But most of all, to restore our sin debt. Thank you for that, Lord. May we walk in that today. May we be changed because of that today. And live a life of substance, not surface. In Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand as we sing? You come as the Lord leads. How's he leading you today? You come.